7 o'clock on a Tuesday. It's a Big Band Tuesday here on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Halford & Bruff in the morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. We are in Hour 2 of the program. Hour 2 is brought to you by Primetime Craft Beer. Meticulously brewed for quality and taste. Primetime Craft Beer is full flavor without compromise. You can get some at a liquor store near you. If they don't have it, ask for it. Or just go check out the brewery to see how it's made. We are coming to you live from the Kintec studio. Kintec, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, powered by thousands of five-star Google reviews. Sore feet, what are you waiting for? Kintec. So there's been a lot of conversation in the first hour of this show, over the last 24 to 48 hours nationally, about retribution. This all stems from Morgan Riley's cross-check on Ridley Grieg slash Greg. On Saturday, and then the ensuing debates that are raging online, on social media, on podcasts, on radio, and on television. Everyone is weighing in. And now in Vancouver, there's been an offshoot conversation (laughs) about potential retribution because Jake Wallman busted out a gritty after scoring a penalty shot, game winner in overtime, also on Saturday. It was a big day for demonstrative gestures on Saturday. And then the subsequent revenge. Um, I, there's an important thing to discuss here, right? And I was thinking about this when you were talking about, and we posted the video online, by the way. Go to Sportsnet 650 on X, on Twitter, whatever. You can see the video from the first hour or download the Hour One podcast. You can hear the whole conversation. And you were saying, Jason, essentially, you don't get why um, what Wallman did would require retribution because it was just, he celebrated. He had a walk-off. Yeah. He had a big goal for them. They're in a playoff chase. They're trying to make the postseason for the first time in a long time in Detroit. He scored a huge goal. Yeah. It could go a long way to getting there, right? And unfortunately, what this is, and it's the same thing with uh, Riley and Keefe in Toronto, is the, and it's sad that this is what we've kind of come to, but this is the crux of the whole thing. Someone did something that someone didn't like. Mm -hmm. And we are at a time, sadly, both in society and in hockey, where that gives you, at least in your mind, the right to respond. That was what Sheldon Keefe's entire argument was about on Saturday, was that it was never about whether um, the response was appropriate or not. His exact quote was, their player has the right to do what he wants at that moment. Our player has the right to react. And I thought that was a, like, it, although I don't think he put much thought into it, I thought it was a pretty profound statement because I'm like, I thought it was a really dumb statement. It was dumb, but it very much highlighted exactly what I'm talking about here, which is the Leafs saw something they didn't like and they thought, and they were emboldened to say, yeah. no, we have the right to go out and do whatever we want. And I'm, and I'm like, you know when you have a debate with someone mm-hmm. and you don't necessarily like their point of view and you disagree with it, Yeah. but that doesn't give you the right to uh, have some sort of like verbal attack or come out swinging by putting them down or getting into the sewers with a lot of what we saw over the weekend with like, you can't just go to the gutters right away because you didn't like what someone said or what you, someone did. You have to differentiate between a reaction and an overreaction. What Morgan Riley did was an overreaction. I think what most fans want to see 
in cases like the Ridley Grieg situation is just some semblance of, hey, I didn't like that, and I want our fans to know that we saw it too, and we don't like being disrespected like that. See, I, I think the the difference is, is like, if I was on the Canucks, mm-hmm. I wouldn't have cared about Luke Wallman doing the gritty. You like, okay. That wouldn't, that would not have bothered me. Cause I'd be like, damn, we just lost the game. He scored a goal. We've seen hockey celebrations before. That was a hockey celebration after scoring a game-winning goal. Okay. If I was on the Leafs or a Leafs fan, let's say I was on the Leafs and I saw what Ridley Grieg did, I wouldn't have liked that. Those are different in my mind just because for Grieg, it wasn't a game-winning goal. It was just him but skating we're not, down the, the ice. We're not talking about what you like and don't like. Sure like we've we already are. established sure that. No, no, but the, the point I'm trying to make here is that if you like something or if you don't like something, either way, it doesn't give you a green light to go and do whatever you want because it's deemed appropriate. Right. I see what you're saying there. Right? Yeah. Because then we just get into this whole thing where it's like, well, 22, let's say hypothetically that one Vancouver Canuck has a real problem with what Jake Wallman did, but his 22 other teammates and coaches don't. Mm-hmm. But then it just becomes, well, he didn't like it. And because of the way that the game is working, he's got free reign to do what he wants to do. And that's the crux of the argument is this thing goes to the Department of Player Safety. There's a lot of people out there right now saying that, no, we can't suspend. We can't punish. Retribution in this instance is okay because that player and that coach didn't like what happened out there. Yeah. Now there's a whole subtext here about, well, what happens if he didn't do anything? How does it undermine your team's toughness and pushback if you just let that happen? That's well, another, they're not going to. That's another facet of the thing. But the crux of this whole thing, for me anyway, is that it really just comes down, and sadly, you can see it play out a lot, is that people think they have free reign to do something because they don't like something. Like they've got a free, you know in, uh, <laughs> you know in football when there's a team jumps offside? Free play. <laughs> and a team's like, I got a free play here, right? Like yeah. it, it, it almost seems like that. Like I can go so over the top. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, some people have that as their political ideology, right? That's, like that's if, someone ta- was, yeah. if someone takes a shot at me, get a load of the shot I'm going to take at you. Right? Get and a that, load of it. That's a great point. That's kind of what we're dealing with now. Mm-hmm. Is and, and the flip side of it is, if there's no response, if you take it in a measured tone, like let's say the Leafs after the game said, you know what? We didn't like that. We didn't agree with it, but we don't have another opportunity. I don't know if Morgan Riley in the moment realized that that was the last battle of Ontario of the year and he wasn't going to get a chance mm-hmm. to go out a couple nights later. But, but they're probably not going to meet in the playoffs. And they're definitely not going to meet in the playoffs. <laughs> Both of them might not be in the playoffs at this point. Um, you know, there's that element of this, especially, and I hate saying it, but in, this is a hockey thing and this is an NHL thing, Right. Is where, you know, someone, we were going back and forth, like the unwritten rules and what the code is and what's okay and what's not. Mm -hmm. Um, It is left up to interpretation. Like there's good, like you said, there's a small minority out there that may want someone on the Canucks to exact revenge for Wallman busting a gritty on them. For the record, should we put it out there that 
unless I've missed something, nobody on the Canucks has complained about Wallman, right? Not have allowed. They, have they? Have they? Not no. allowed. No, but like that. The that, closest we saw to it but, but, but you're insinuating. You're insinuating that they they might have cared a little bit about it. I haven't even. Has, have we seen any hint? Like we know that the Leafs didn't like what Ridley Grieg did, but because they showed the, it right away for the Canucks. Like, yeah. did has, have they been asked about? Well, it? here's did the they inter- care about it. Well, like, here's the interesting thing because like we shouldn't we shouldn't put this on because someone te- someone people are texting in is like. You know, the, the Canucks, if they wanted to, if they were so upset about Wallman, then they should have tried to win a game. We don't even know if they're upset about it. It just seems to me that this is built from social media among Canucks fans, a certain contingent of Canucks fans. And frankly, I think half of them are being like tongue in cheek about it. Do you know what I mean? Like they're, they're not actually really all that upset about it. They're just, but some of them might be because they're upset about everything. Sorry. What were you going to say? No, no. Keep going. No, I'm done. Oh, um, well, okay. What happened was, and this is the, the closest that it's come to the, uh, <laughs> Elliot was on with Donnie and Dolly. Okay. Right? And they were talking about it and said, one member of the show didn't like Wallman doing the gritty. And then Dolly was like, was it Bieksa? And then Elliot said, that's possible. So, I mean, it's out there that it's like, it's risen well, to the- I, Is Bieksa still on the Canucks? You know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah. Like, don't be glib. Like, it's out there and that people noticed it and people are talking about it. Not just you and I. We're not drumming this up out of nowhere. No, no, no. But I think right. we should differentiate between the Leafs actually being upset about this Ridley Grieg situation and the, the players on the Canucks. Did they even notice the gritty? Like, if I was on the Canucks, I'd be like, and off to the dressing room we go, right? We've lost the game. Sure. I don't want to be here for any celebration. We lost. Uh, you know, if you're Quinn Hughes, you're like, really? You're calling a cross-check penalty shot? Never seen that before, mm-hmm. but whatever. The game is over. We blew a two-goal lead. We're on to Washington. Because I think one of the things that Rick Tockett has done really well, and I'm going to uh, differentiate Tockett, uh, maybe the favorite as coach of the year or one of the favorites and Sheldon Keefe, not one of the favorites <laughs> to be the coach of the year is that Rick Tockett has done a really good job keeping his team focused and not living in the past and not worrying about the noise and not yep. getting distracted by this sort of thing. And Sheldon Keefe seems to be leaning into the noise and maybe he's doing it as some way to motivate his team, which he clearly doesn't like. He, like I'm talking about his team. He doesn't like yep. his team. He doesn't have enough players on his team that he trusts. Meanwhile, in Vancouver, they're trying to like tone down the noise and, and they don't want this sort of thing to take over. They're trying to stay focused and they're being like, look, whatever happened last game, the only thing we control is doing better the next game. Do we have some things to clean up? Sure. Were we perfect on this road trip? Absolutely not. But the only thing we can do is go out there and do better, keep working hard. And that's one of the reasons why the Canucks have been successful and possibly possibly just throwing it out there one of the reasons that the Leafs have been so inconsistent this season they're letting the noise of the market get to them and they're letting the history of the market get to them right and to your point Thursday's game could roll around and it could be a complete non-factor the Canucks and Red Wings could go out and play a game and get through 60 minutes and whatever potential overtime there may be and there will be no mention no nothing and that's yeah. Maybe they go after Wallman right away, and I'm like, oh, I guess they were upset about it. And that's, who knows? Yeah, and that's the thing. That's where I come back to now. Fair or not, this conversation has been, and I agree with you 100. percent It's been foisted upon the team, 
right? Because it can actually theoretically say, what, are, what have we done wrong? We've done nothing wrong. Like, we're getting texts in, Joshua needs to fight Wallman early on, or they have to give him hell the whole game. <laughs> for doing the gritty? But that's what I'm saying. For, that's for, that for doing the gritty? But that narrative is like, out there. So you want, you, want, you want one of the Canucks' um, best penalty killers to go out there and fight, what's his first name? Wallman? Jake. Jake Wallman. You want him to fight Jake Wallman, potentially get an instigator, let Jake Wallman distract you from the game plan of winning games while you're trying to win the division. Like, that's that's what you want. That's what you want. That's what you want. Okay. Uh, text into the Don Bar Lumber text message in basket at 650-650. The media is to blame for the whole thing, the text writes. The media would be all over Toronto if there wasn't any retribution calling them soft and making fun of them. It's mostly your own fault. Have a look in the mirror before you start passing judgment. I mean, that's just good no. as a general rule. No. no. To hear we, Sheldon we... Keefe explain it, this was 100% heat of the moment. There wasn't any backstory. There wasn't any concern about not having the retribution. This was their player had the right to do something, and we had the right to uh, do anything, to, apparently. To, to dish out retribution, and that was it. There was no additional thought that went into it. He was asked mm-hmm. if there was a lingering frustration or if this was the buildup of an emotional toll from Morgan Riley or the fact that he had to go do something. No, it stop, was none stop of that. Stop looking at this so like black and white. There's showing a reaction and responding, and then there's cross-checking a guy in the side of the head. Mm-hmm. How, how can we not see the difference here? The tough thing to do would have been to for Morgan Riley to be like, my gloves are already off, and I'm going to square you up, and um, you know I'm not going to sucker punch you or anything, mm-hmm. but I'm going to grab you, and if you start swinging on me, then we're fighting. What he did was just dumb. It was over the top, and that is going to be the message from the NHL. You know, it's like Wish said, just pantomime a reaction – Mm-hmm. To make sure that, you know, and it, you don't have to totally fake it. You don't have to be like, I'm just over here because uh, the fans are going to get upset if I'm if I'm not over here. You can be upset, but it's like being upset in traffic. If someone cuts you off, it you can honk at them. You can even, you know, roll your window down, yell at them, give them the bird. You can follow them for several Here's what you can't what? do. Here's what you can't do. Um bash into them with your car <laughs> and then go into the, go into your trunk and you're like, oh, I got my golf clubs back there and take out your driver and start beating on their car because they cut you off. Like, Was it, was the, it wrong of me are, to follow them for several cities? Are we not, like, can we not differentiate between a reaction and an overreaction? Is this where we're at? Yeah, but that, that's what I'm saying. Is that you, and the sometimes... Rarely, but sometimes the Dunbar Lumber text message in basket is a very interesting reflection of the mindset of, and the majority of you are Canucks fans first and foremost, right? And there are, we'll get alternating ones that will say, I had no problem with this whatsoever. And then alternating ones that there needs to be some sort of retribution dished out. Now, a lot of this has to do with the way that the sport is played and the way that a lot of the unwritten stuff and the code is not left 
to the Department of Player Safety and the guys wearing zebra stripes to administer punishment, justice, and retribution, right? That's the whole part of this, is that there's certain things that players have to take care of, and there's certain things that are okay or not okay. For example, see a bunch of people talking about how is Wallman's celebration any different than what the Carolina Hurricanes do after games. There's not. But you also know that a, a bunch of people in hockey had a problem with, what did they call it, the junior hockey crap that the Carolina Hurricanes did with the storm surge. Sure. And, then, and then the Carolina Hurricanes were but like, I don't well, think, But I don't think anyone was advocating for them to like, I'm, I'm going to watch the storm surge and then I'm going to go in and slash you all, right? Right. Like, and, but, and then you notice Carolina, remember when they went to the playoffs? Yeah, they're yeah. like, we're not doing the storm surge anymore. Sure. You know? Yeah, and yeah. I'm like, well, so there's something there. And it's an interesting conversation in that regard because you know that there is an element of showing the other team up, that you're you're wading into the waters of we don't know what the retribution is going to be here, right? Better better not to poke the bear than to poke the bear and find out. So uh, I'm going to read one more text on this, and then I'm going to move on to a different subject, and that is the Canucks top six actually playing well tonight. Um, here's a text. You take a four-foot slapper on an empty net, you are naive to think there isn't going to be a response. You cross-check a guy in the head because you feel obligated to. You are not naive to think there isn't going to be a stronger response by the league. Actions have consequences. That's the nature of free will and choice. I think we should leave this conversation at that. Mm -hmm. I think most people texting into the Dunbar Lumber text line can um, understand the difference between a reaction and a overreaction. What I'm mostly curious about tonight in Chicago and, frankly, Thursday against the Detroit Red Wings is if the Canucks top six is going to start to find its form. Um, I wonder what the lines are going to look like tonight. I wonder where Lindholm is going to be. Um, I didn't think the line of Lindholm with Miller and Besser was very good against Washington. I'm not sure if I see the fit there. I had really been hoping, and I'm sure the Canucks had been hoping, that Lindholm and Petey together would find something. Um, you know, they remember, it's only been, what, four games with Lindholm in the lineup? Mm -hmm. The first one went well. Lindholm scored two goals. Now, granted, they were both tip deflections uh, on the power play, so we were all like, well, we like him as the net front presence, but he played well in other areas um, of the game. That was a really good hockey game overall. The Canucks played well. It was a battle. Everyone seemed revved up after the All-Star break. Then they went to Boston, and it did not go well. And Petey and Lindholm were together, and they were a combined minus four. Two of those minuses were while the Canucks were on the power play. So Lindholm and PD haven't been together since. Um, it's gotten better. They had certainly some good moments uh, against Detroit, especially that second period where they killed a five-minute major, then killed another two-minute minor just for good measure. And then right after both of those, they scored and then scored again. Now, unfortunately, they blew that two-goal lead and they lost it in overtime. There was a gritty. And then Sunday... Did we mention a gritty? Sunday in Washington, um, they 
it was a it was kind of a gross hockey game. Both teams were tired. It was in the muck, and I think the Canucks deserve credit, even against an inferior team, for getting it to overtime and then winning it in overtime on a fairly egregious turnover by the Washington Capitals. But credit to JT Miller for finishing that, mm-hmm. right? You know, you still got to score. You still got to bear down, and you still got to score, and they did. So they're two one on one on this road trip, but there is this underlying concern that if the Canucks are they're going to get to the playoffs, but if they do, their top six has to be elite. If if we're going to sit here and say like, wow, the Canucks have so many elite players. Look at all the players that went to the All-Star game. You had Elias Pettersson there. You had JT Miller there. You had Brock Besser there. Well, that's three of your top six. Lindholm was there. And Lindholm was there, actually. Mm-hmm. So four of your top six, if that's how you want to construct it, are All-Stars. But can anyone over the last few games say they've played like elite players? I don't think you can because they haven't dominated inferior teams. Now, tonight, they'd better because it's the Chicago Blackhawks. Um, And then you go home to play Detroit and hopefully you have a good performance at home where the Canucks have been very good. But let's not be mistaken. Let's not be mistaken here. The third line, sorry, the third line. That's the way we're gonna we're gonna talk about the Bluger with Garland and Joshua. Capital the is really um like kind of holding up the team. Mm-hmm. And, and I really do wonder where this Canucks team would be if not for that third line. Because they are the line that the coaching staff can put out there just in case the game starts to get away from the Canucks mm-hmm. and if the top six doesn't show up. Okay, so a couple things there. One, I would actually like to see uh, Lindholm between Miller and Besser get a little bit more run. I know it hasn't looked great to start, but the key there is to start. I think we, we should all remember that Lindholm has played a grand total of zero hockey games with those two line mates prior to joining the Vancouver Canucks, whereas like the lotto line had you know games and games and years and years of experience playing with one another. The, the thing is, is that it's such a weird dynamic for a head coach because you have to be able to say and balance between, well, this isn't working or we need to give this more time yeah, to click. For sure. Well, someone texted in, why are we so up in arms with the Lindholm situation? First of all, not up in arms. I don't have a shovel in my hand. No. There's no rifle, no musket. And the text continues, why do we bring them in so early to allow them time to adjust to each other? Yeah, Again, that's the thing. Uh, this is, again, an overreaction after four games. Nobody's overreacting. You know what they are? They're curious. They're curious about how this is all going to pan out. Look, people are talking about the Detroit game, and they're like, I'll, I'll be curious to see if the Canucks have a reaction to Wallman. For me, like, that's noise. I'll talk about it because people want to talk about it. What I'm more curious going forward is how all this is going to fit together. I'm like Rick talking. I'm a puzzle guy, right? I want to see how this fits together because – if the Canucks do indeed have players as good as we all think they have, then this top six should not just kind of be like, yeah, they were okay. They were fine. They even put up a few points, but they didn't dominate. Like, Are they eventually going to have to put the lotto line back together? That, I guess, isn't something we've seen since they've acquired Lindholm. Um, are they going to have to try that again? And maybe Lindholm is the 2C with, I don't know, Suter and... Hoaglander, right? I mean, I Who think, knows? I think Who knows? But like, the- but like, the thing is, these are the things that are interesting me. 
I'm not up in arms in o- about anything. I'm not overreacting. I'm not calling the Lindholm trade a mistake. I'm just saying, I wonder how this is going to fit together. And this is something to watch against Chicago, which is a team that doesn't have a lot of things to watch. Uh, well, another thing to consider when you're talking about the top six is Nils Hoaglander's inclusion in it, now with 16 goals on the year. And we talked about this a bit yesterday, and I think that there's a few different aspects of that promotion into the top six that are vitally important for the team. One, it gives them a different look and it gives them a different wrinkle. Two, it's rewarding internally, right? It's finding someone that has answered the coach's call and has been able to ascend up the lineup and to be a guy that, again, I go back and look at it and some of the guys that he has more goals than on the year, pretty impressive totals, right? You're talking about Barzell and Shifley and Kopitar and Tavares, uh, Connor Bedard, granted he's been out for a long time, but this is... And all even strength, right? Yeah, everything's coming to even strength. So when it comes to finding duos and combinations that work, I think it's important, and that's why the Lindholm trade happening when it happened was so vital, because Tockett's now got a couple different things in his pocket. He knows that in a seven-game series, he can go to the lotto line, and you'll probably get that immediate burst of offense. He's well, tri- maybe. I mean, they didn't, didn't look very good for long. It looked good for a couple games. But that's why I said immediate burst of offense, right? right? If you're talking about a seven-game series and things mm-hmm. aren't going your way and you want to change it up on somebody, there's a handful of things that you can do in a series when you're going up against the same opponent time after time. Uh, benefit of last change is huge, right? But the other one is, can we find different combinations to throw at these guys to throw them off their game? I think the Hoaglander thing is very interesting to monitor moving forward because... Again, you don't want to mess with the third line. Mm -hmm. But you also want to say, if you're doing well and doing the things that the coach has put in front of you is task-oriented, you've met those goals. And in the top six, one of those things is scoring. And finding the back of the net, right? Which is what Ilya McKayev had such a tough time At five on five. If you look at even strength goals for the Canucks, Petey and Besser each have 18. Hoaglander's third with 16. Miller's got 14. And fifth place is Dakota Joshua. Like the, the two of those guys, <laughs> Hoaglander and Joshua. I don't know if people would have would have predicted that that would be the case. Well, also Besser not either, but he's had a re- surprising season. We all know that. At any rate, these are just the things I'm looking forward to um, as the Canucks head down the stretch, and also as they head to the trade deadline, which is less than a month away, because. Yes, one of the the good things about bringing in Lindholm so early was the coaching staff can experiment, and we can see where he best fits. And maybe he's going to need another shot with Petey in order for them to find something. Maybe a little practice time together. Maybe them going over video together is going to help a little bit. But it's also possible that the management group goes, oh, we're going to need to make another move, and we're going to need to bring in, say, a winger, you know, a guy like Frank Vitrano who's on the same team as Another Adam, Adam, Adam Henrique, right? Like, it's just, you know, th- these are the things that make me curious, not getting revenge on a guy for doing a dance that I that makes me feel old. Uh, coming up on the Halford and Brush Show on Sportsnet 6, we're going to dive back into the National Football League. Super Bowl reactions still, still going on and on and on about the overtime rules and who knew them and who didn't. Nick Shook knows them. He's going to join us from NFL.com next. We're going to talk about all the scrutiny that Kyle Shannon is facing. Now 48 hours removed from losing Super Bowl 58. You're listening to the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. 
talking all Canucks all the time. It's Canucks Talk with Jamie Dodd and Thomas Drance. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Happy Tuesday, everybody. Halford Bruff, Sportsnet 650. I'm feeling this one. Oh, man, the piano there, too. It's fire. Makes me want to do the gritty. <laughs> just not after scoring. No. You can do it at any other time. <laughs> you just can't be celebrating and rubbing it in anybody's face. Oh, okay. There was, there, 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 was some good, uh, there was some good irony in the text inbox. People were like, I think you're overreacting to a couple of like harmless texts into the Dunbar Lumber text inbox. And that might be true. I'm just like, I just want to cross-check someone in the head. That's true. These texts are like a slap shot into an empty net. <laughs> or a gritty after a penalty shot goal in overtime. <laughs> the empty net of my heart. <laughs> You're listening to the Alfred and Brev Show on Sportsnet 650. I'm going to call some of these numbers. Meet me on the corner. <laughs> Alfred and Brev in the morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. We are in hour two of the program. Nick Shook from NFL.com is going to join us in just a moment here. The highlight of hour two, really. Hour two is brought to you by Primetime Craft Beer. Meticulously brewed for quality and taste. Primetime is full flavor without compromise. You can get some at a liquor store near you or visit the brewery to see how it's made. Uh, we go now to the Dispatch Plumbing, Heating, and Air Conditioning Hotline to talk to Nick Shook, our NFL insider from NFL.com here on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Morning, Nick. How are you? I'm fantastic, guys. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, thanks for coming on. We appreciate you taking the time. So we're all decompressing from the Super Bowl. You in particular were in Vegas for said Super Bowl. Now it seems as though we're trying to get caught up with all the narratives that were hanging out there. And the one that does not appear to be going away is that nobody, most specifically a lot of the 49ers players, seem to know what the rules in overtime in the playoffs were. How crazy it is that this many people, Nick, didn't know the rules of overtime going into the biggest football game of the season. Well, it's, it's because, primarily, I think, because they change once you get to the playoffs. Um, I mean, I, I heard the Chiefs players asked about it multiple times after the game down, you know, in the uh, collection of podiums outside the stadium and, it, uh, you know, they all said they've been talking about it for massively different amounts of time. One player, I think it was uh, Nick Bolton, said they talked about it since training camp. Right. Uh, you know, another would say, you know, oh, yeah, we talked about it a ton in the last two weeks. It's, I mean, that's okay. Uh, there's a, a big difference between four to five to six months in, in the last two weeks. So um, I, I, it's the first time we've had to, to deal with it, to encounter it, uh, to in which it really mattered. Uh, it was a, a rule instituted basically because of the way the Chiefs bills ended a few years ago. And I, I think a lot of us just put it on the back burner as, ah, we'll get that done later. You know, all we know <laughs> is that both teams have an opportunity to score. I mean, I'll, I'll be honest with you, sitting in the stadium, we were having a debate all the way down to the final play, whether the clock mattered or not. Right. Because I'm sitting there watching it tick down. There's no two minute warning. And Chiefs fans are right behind me going, Oh my God! Call timeout! Call timeout! What are you doing, Andy? Call timeout! And and they weren't. And then you know, as it turned out, they scored with three seconds left on the clock anyway. So, uh, if anything, we won't forget the rules now. 
Uh, Kyle Shanahan, I think we'll spend a couple minutes discussing him here because he's certainly under the microscope right now. So uh, let's talk uh, the micro here before we go to the macro. The micro is the decision to um, get the ball third. That was what his explanation was in the aftermath, is that he figured that if both teams matched scores to start the overtime, he wanted San Francisco to get the ball third so they had a chance to win it. Uh, your thoughts on the strategy, obviously it didn't work out for him, but the idea going in, because he said it was predetermined even before they got to the Super Bowl, that if it, this situation arose, they wanted the ball third. Yeah, um, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty, I think, and, and a lot of the Chiefs players that were asked about this as well, you know, said, you know, I think they, they he was trying to give uh, his defense a break because the Mahomes and company had just led that drive with about a minute forty right. uh, to tie the game and send it to overtime, and it was it was a, I think it was eleven play drive. So, you know, they, they, it took a while. They'd been out there for a while, and um, you only get a couple minutes of break between. So that's what a lot of them said, but a lot of them also said, you know, thanks for doing that. Yeah, and we had the opportunity to to because if, if you go back to college football rules, you always uh, pick defense first. You want to know what you have to do to get the exactly. job done. And uh, and that's why it was a little bit mystifying. But again, that was another thing that we were even debating. Uh, me and my colleagues in during the game at the game was, wait, don't you want to don't you want to take it second? Don't you want to take it first? And and there was a, a bit of a logical argument for each side. Now you know, like I said, hindsight being twenty twenty, you know, it's it's obvious that he he probably should have you know given the Chiefs the ball first, but. I mean, you know, I, I I see the logic. I see what even the Chiefs players said about it. And I think that he's going to get drilled for it unnecessarily, kind of like how Dan Campbell uh, got drilled for his decisions in the NFC Championship game. And, and that's what we do after games. We, we break it down all the way down to the individual fibers because, honestly, we have nothing else to do. So, <laughs> <laughs> Okay, well, that's good because you set this up perfectly. So we talked about the micro. Now, the macro is the big picture with Shanahan and this era of the 49ers. And, like, there's a few things that are hard to escape. One, it's the second time in a Super Bowl against Kansas City that they had a double-digit point lead and they failed to get the job done. We had Mike uh, Tannier on the show yesterday, and he was pretty critical of Shanahan's play calling in the second half. There's also the amount of virtual ink that's being spilled on the 49ers' approach in overtime and the players not being prepared. If you put it all together, there is a fair amount of criticism that's being lobbed Kyle Shanahan's way. How much should he shoulder, and how much of this criticism is actually fair? I think some of that is fair. The second half play calling was fair. Uh, that, I mean, like the, the, the criticism of that is fair because I was sitting there myself thinking, oh man, he's doing it. He's doing what he did, you know, in the 28 to three comeback, you know, Super Bowl was that 51 or whatever. Uh, and it, it, it was painful to watch in those moments, but it, it, the situation also, I, I understood it. And I thought he actually course corrected late in the game. It's just that they never finished off most of those drives. I thought he made a couple of really great decisions that, were lost in the shuffle of losing, going on, going for it on fourth down on the touchdown drive that ended in a Juwan Jennings touchdown yeah. reception was huge. Um, they figured out that they could beat the Chiefs with quick outs, no matter who was out there. I mean, Kittle beat Justin Reed on a quick out on that play specifically. And then late in the game, he did run the crap out of the ball. I mean, they, they had, I think, three or four or five straight runs with Christian McCaffrey just toss left, toss left, toss left, you know, just run behind Trent Williams and try to salt this game away. And it was working. It really was working. It was a matter of Trent McDuffie blitzing on third down and, and getting a, pa- a huge pass deflection to force them to again settle for a field goal that bought the Chiefs time. And um, 
I mean, even the, the Niners even got all the way down to the nine yard line before they didn't finish off that drive in overtime either. So, you know, it's close calls, missed opportunities, but I don't think he, that he was quite as bad as we think. It's just that we can look back and say, well, how did you blow this 10 point lead? And how did you let them back in the game? He's not the one who decided to, you know, allow a football to go off of a, a punt coverage team's foot, you know, remember the team's foot and then have another guy have to try to pick it up. And that's yeah. what produced their first touchdown. It's, mm-hmm. It wasn't, yeah, I don't know. I, I get it though, because look, he's been a part of multiple 10 point, you know, blown 10 point leads in Super Bowls now. And, and there was a period where I felt like the 49ers are about to run away with this. Like the, the Chiefs had given them a lot of opportunities. In fact, the 49ers are wasting these opportunities, even when they were up 10, nothing. It could have been worse, I guess, but I just see both sides of the argument there. Shouldn't we be spending more time just talking about how great Patrick Mahomes is? Yeah, I uh, I got some angry tweets sent my way. Right after the game, I said, Patrick Mahomes still leaving our jaws on the floor. And a bunch of people were like, by what? Throwing for nine yards 20 times? Oh, oh pretty cool. And it's like, did you not watch the drive that he put together to tie the game? Did you not watch the drive that he put together to send a, or to, to win the game? Yeah. And the guy's converting on third and fourth down with his legs. Um, Got to have it situations multiple times. He's getting the job done. There's a number of quarterbacks in the league who wouldn't get that job done, and their season would have ended right there. But he is the difference. He is that special and able to get you through those situations and on to the next set of opportunities and then convert and it wasn't a pretty game offensively. It wasn't. Um, statistically, he it actually looks pretty good. Quarterly, 34, 46, or 3, 33, and two touchdowns with a pick. The pick, I think he just sailed it over Kelsey's head and just a bummer of a yeah, throw. But That was a mistake. He, That's fine. Uh, yeah, yeah it's, yeah. it's it's okay. Uh, but ultimately, I, you know, I, I thought – I came away again saying, look, kid came through in the clutch. And that's that was what my prediction was, was that Chiefs 27, Niners 23, and it finished Chiefs 25, Niners 22. And the, the reason was the same. If they got the ball last and, and it's in Mahomes' hand to go get a touchdown to win, I trust him. And he came through. You know, it's funny. A lot of people have made a lot of the missed PAT. And fair enough, that was a factor in the game. But would anyone have been surprised if – that had happened if the if the kick had been made and then Mahomes had actually finished on that drive at the end of regulation and the Chiefs had won it with a touchdown in regulation. No, they wouldn't have been surprised. They, they, there was six seconds left and it was third down, I think. And I heard some people saying, "Well, why not give it one more shot at the end zone at the end of regulation?" And, and I'm like, "Well, you only need three. You know, just take it and send it overtime mm-hmm. by yourself more time because you never know you could run out of time trying to extend the play." Nobody would have been surprised if he would have pulled it off. In fact, I was surprised that they weren't able to pull it off for most of the game until and when they finally did, it was like, all right, yeah, okay. This And that, that was not a good game overall offensively for the Chiefs. I mean, a lot of what they tried to do was not working, but they delivered when they needed to most. Is there, um, is there going to be urgency in Kansas City? We spent a lot of time about talking about what the what, the, what are the 49ers going to do this offseason to adjust. Um is there going to be urgency on behalf of the Chiefs, despite another Super Bowl win, to get some more weapons for Patrick Mahomes? I would think so. Uh, Travis Kelsey's not getting any younger. Nico Hardman did pretty much nothing from the time that he left for the Jets and came back to the Chiefs until he got that 52-yard pass Sunday. I mean, he, he was non-existent, and he ends up catching the game-winning touchdown pass. Justin Watson was... was Sneaky good in that game. Rasheed Rice, they, you know, he had six catches, but they were all short completions, so they were just desperate to just get any sort of rhythm going. They just had to get the ball out and try and get a few extra yards. 
credit the Niners for tackling well. I just if you look at this group, I mean Marquez Valdez Gaming catches a touchdown pass, but and it was more like, Oh, he held on. Now I know he kind of exercised that demon in, in previous weeks, but yeah, this team needs more weapons outside. Bottom line, uh, that was probably one of the biggest issues. They missed Joe Tooney a lot in this game, but if you look at the season overall, it, they they lacked guys who had experience and were capable of of producing, and and that's kind of a product of um, you know missing on guys like Sky Moore. And this is what you have to do, you know, to uh, to to keep yourself financially solvent when you're paying your quarterback as much money as you are. So I don't expect like the big trade it's more like Kadarius Tony is not to be trusted anymore and Sky Moore has not gotten to where they thought he was going to get so it might be one of those years where hey yeah it's it's time we got to go get somebody with one of our highest picks or acquire somebody that's not going to absolutely break the bank because this is not going to continue to fly with us we're speaking to Nick Shook from NFL.com here on the Halford and Bruff show on Sportsnet 650 uh, from Mahomes I want to pivot back to the quarterback that he was up against on Sunday Brock Purdy. So uh, last week, you and I talked quite a bit about the notion and narrative of Purdy being a game manager, Kyle Shanahan pushing back against it. And then I remember thinking, like, it's almost unfair to the guy to be going into this Super Bowl because Patrick Mahomes just makes things happen. And Purdy, through no fault of his own, isn't going to be Patrick Mahomes. Now, I've seen a lot of people in the aftermath point to one particular moment where Purdy sort of, for lack of a better phrase, let the Niners down. And it was. They had first and 10 on the Chiefs' 15-yard line with the first possession in overtime. The ball didn't end up in the end zone. They had to settle for a field goal, and there was talk about what Purdy did or didn't do on that drive. How Again, we talk about fairness and unfairness of narratives, but how fair do you feel that Brock Purdy is being treated in the aftermath given who he was going up against, what he had to deal with, and how close they were to actually winning that game? I think um, he made some good throws, and he missed some throws. And he delivered under pressure at times, and then later he didn't. Uh, it was very much a mixed bag of a game for him. Him and the connection with Debo was just not there no. uh, for most of the game. They they tried to hit him underneath a number of times. Debo was targeted eleven times and he had three catches. Some of them I would count probably three or four went through his hands. Another three or four um, were either great defensive plays or the ball just didn't get to where it was supposed to be. Uh, that that connection they really missed that. Debo went out with a little of a hamstring issue and then was able to get back into the game. But, you know, it just, the, the sync, they weren't fully in sync. That's why the Jennings performance was so interesting. The Brandon Ayuk, you know, he had three catches for 49 yards. It felt kind of big, but it just felt like their offense overall couldn't get in a rhythm. Both offenses overall really couldn't get in a rhythm, which is why we got that low scoring game. So, you know, I don't think that it's, it's, you're, you're absolutely right. You're, you're right. When you compare Mahomes against Purdy, it's unfair. Um, because one guy's got a ton of experience in that situation, the other guy doesn't. One guy's an extremely special talent. We'll see what Purdy ends up being. Um, but it was also an extremely tough task to play against that Chiefs defense that had, you know, everything that they wanted to do against him. They were able to put it into action. And that, I mean, I think that the Niners might score that touchdown in overtime in the opening possession if Chris, Chris Jones doesn't just bust right through the line immediately after the snap yeah. and he's right in Brock Purdy's lap before he knows what to do with it. But it was a bummer. There were there were a few missed throws in that game, I will say. Um, I think it was either Debo or Ayuk. He had opened for a touchdown. He put it over him too far. It was kind of like shades of uh, of uh, Jimmy Garoppolo missing uh, Emmanuel Sanders in the end zone in Super Bowl 54. Uh, it, it felt like that. But, I mean, the kid's young. I, 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 just, I, didn't, I didn't expect him to come out there and have a stellar game against this defense. This is about what I expected from him. 
So the NFL season has now come to its rightful conclusion, and now we look ahead to the offseason. What's the big thing that you're focused on? I know you're going to take a little time to decompress, maybe. But is it like the Chicago Bears holding the first pick at the NFL draft? Is it you know waiting to see who's going to shake loose in free agency? Most of the coaching and coordinator positions are filled, but I'm sure there's still a thing or two there. So what is next for Nick Shook as it pertains to being on the NFL beat? Uh, well, we're going to wrap up QB index here today, uh, and, and submit our final post Super Bowl rankings for the entire season. And I'm going to have to do some soul searching on this as well. And then it's, yeah, we're shifting to the draft, man. We are 13 days away from me departing to go to the Indianapolis for the combine. So, uh, just as we get back from Vegas, and that's the funny thing. You get back from the Super Bowl the day of, you know, your return trip, you think two weeks from now, I will be in Indianapolis for the uh, the combine. So it doesn't really stop, and uh, I'm ready to get fully prepared for uh, a draft that's going to be highly intriguing because of what the Bears do or don't do at number one, and um, whether they move out, who's going to be willing to move up there. You know, the, I think there could be some very interesting and chaotic scenarios that we're not considering right now that could play out in the top five, top ten picks. And uh, so I'm looking forward to that and also just getting into this class because I, I did watch a lot of college football this year. Um, I'm, I'm pretty in tune, but there's always guys that I've missed that I need to catch up on. And before you know it, we're going to be talking about these guys. So the prep work, it started months ago, but, you know, we're going to prep a little bit starting uh, probably here today or tomorrow. Well, so that, that's what's on deck. Yeah, Nick, I want uh, to thank you a ton on behalf of Jason and the dogs and the whole show and, and our listening audience as well who have loved you know having you on every week. We've done the previews throughout the regular season and then the playoffs and the Super Bowl. Uh, you're great at this. You're a total asset to the show. We love having you. Hopefully we can get you back on. I always do these long farewells. Like, we'll never talk to you again. And then in 10 days we have to call you because something huge has happened. But <laughs> anyway, I do want to say thank you uh, very much for this season. It has been great. I'm sure we'll do this as we get closer to the draft. But for now, once again, thanks, buddy. We really appreciate this. Yeah, guys, thanks for having me on, and I appreciate the kind words, and, and I look forward to when something crazy happens and we talk again in, in 10 to 20 days. <laughs> thanks, Nick. See you, Nick. All right, guys. Uh, Nick Shook from NFL.com here on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Putting a bow on the NFL campaign and a uh, a Super Bowl that I think is going to resonate for a while because, you know, if you like, if you listen to American Sports Talk Radio, you go to ESPN and watch some of their programming. Mm-hmm. It is still 100% talking about the overtime rules. Like, this is a thing mm-hmm. that it, it's because it's so divisive that um, the Chiefs players were clearly prepped for it yeah. and also spoke candidly about how prepped they were for it. Uh-huh. And you've got Shanahan sort of offering this mealy mouthed explanation. Like, oh, we want the ball third is funny. Just a funny line to say, right? <laughs> um, but that was one of the explanations. And then the 49ers players, again, in the immediate aftermath, being like, we didn't talk about overtime. We didn't even know the rules. You know, and it's it's really sort of classic sports talk debate where it's like, well, the team that's won the Super Bowl four and is, mm-hmm. knows how to win in the clutch and has the better coaching, they were prepared. And Kyle Shanahan, all he does is blow leads in the Super Bowl and doesn't know how to get it done. His guys were prepared. Yeah. Is it fair? No. It's a wildly probably inaccurate assessment, but that's what a lot of the sort of big media conglomerates are talking about right well, now. Well, after big games, there's always a blame factor, right? And it's yep. big with media jackals like ourselves that uh, want to blame. Um, after this game, though, um, my jackal instincts were tampered down just because 
I thought it was more interesting, frankly, to talk about Patrick Mahomes and what he did in that game because it, was, it didn't look good early on. And I think one of the real challenges in sports is not to lose your composure and to find ways and to adjust in game to things. Mm-hmm. And Patrick Mahomes, even though the Chiefs' offense looked awful in the first half, and a lot of that was Travis to do Kelsey with the, had one catch for one yard, and a lot of that was to do with the Niners' defense. Like, n- not only did they seem prepared for what the Chiefs were going to bring, they were also tackling really well. I know I, I was like, man, I would love it if the Seahawks could tackle like this, mm-hmm. but because the Niners couldn't build a lead bigger than ten points, and they easily could have. Again, I don't want to blame. But because Patrick Mahomes was always, like, the most he was out of it was a two-score game, and that wasn't really for long. Yeah. You were just waiting for him to get the ball last. Yep. And it kind of happened twice, right? Like Get the ball it, third. Yeah, <laughs> it, it, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. And, and, and he pulled it off with, I think, his most underwhelming offense in terms of weapons that we've seen. It was truly incredible. Uh, by the way, I love that Dollywell listens to our show because oh. uh, we get I get DMs like this. Canucks have no interest in Vitrano. I said on show, salary too high. And then three minutes later, sorry, one minute later, as of now, no interest in Vitrano. <laughs> you know, if you can continue to accumulate all-stars like a Frank Vitrano, you can never rule it out. <laughs> you have to keep it in mind. Okay, uh, we got the final hour of the show coming up. A reminder, it is a Canucks game day. Canucks, Blackhawks from Chicago, the United Center, 5.30 puck drop, pregame, postgame, and the actual game. You can hear it all right here on Sportsnet 650. Coming up, it's the man on the call of that game, Brandon Batchelor, the voice of the Vancouver Canucks here on Sportsnet 650, will join the Halford and Breath Show. So don't go anywhere. Finally, before we go to break, a reminder, if you want to get your What We Learned in and get on the radio, it's your chance coming up at 8.30. Dunbar Lumber text line is 650-650. Hashtag it WWL and tell us what you learned over the last 24 hours in sports. You are listening to the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650.